We're going to finish up our words of life of the church with proclaim. Uh, And from the beginning, Jesus' primary work in his ministry, and you might think that seems a little weird, his primary work in his ministry was to proclaim. I don't want to, I'm not suggesting, of course, uh, that of course superseded his death. His primary work in coming to this earth was to be sacrificed for our sins, right? But before that, before his sacrifice, the three years of ministry that he was doing, he did a lot of things. Right, he healed people, and he, he went around, walked, he did so much walking, guys. You have no idea how much walking Jesus did. Just walking all over the world. To do what? To proclaim. Even the miracles, the healing, and the, and the feeding, and all these different things, was in service to his proclamation. His proclamation of what? Well, we see that in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Now, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Uh, what's probable is that uh, as, you, as the Jews went into the, uh, the, the synagogue on the Sabbath, God, I almost got those words mixed up, as the Jews would go in and they'd have this public assembly, different men would get up and they'd read. And, and you know, it, it depends where you were, but, you know, usually they'd go in sequence or they'd have different reading plans of, of the law or the prophets or the Old Testament things, right? And Jesus, of course, stands up and he's just coincidentally where he is, where they are in their public reading of scripture in Nazareth on that day is this passage. The scroll of Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. Of course, that's referring to Isaiah, but a prophecy from Isaiah. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to tell them, saying, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, even as you heard it being read. What an awesome event. Of course, if you're in the, in the audience at that moment, you have t- one of two inclinations. How dare you say that is one, right? If you're a Jew, how dare you say that you are the anointed promised person who's going to do this? But the other alternative would be excitement. He's here. It's so exciting. He's finally come, right? And maybe you, of course, some people would resist that and some people would be excited about it. But what is the thing that he was going to do? To proclaim a variety of different things. Good news to the poor, release of the captives, regaining of sight to the blind, the year of the Lord's favor. I have come to proclaim that these things are here. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Now, there are several words in the New Testament that are translated proclaim. Each with their own nuance, depends on your translation. Uh, uh, To publicly announce, right, is a general idea of proclamation, to just say something in public. Uh, To preach or to herald. Sometimes this idea of of preaching is more uh, a meaning when the word is translated proclaim. Or more basically to teach, right, to just say something to instruct someone else. All three of these Greek words are alternatively translated proclaim. And so this was Jesus' task prior to his death and resurrection, right? We're not underselling his death and resurrection. That was why he came to earth to die for our sins. But why he spent three years leading up to that was to proclaim, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm going to do. This is what it means. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so we see in the very beginning of his ministry in three of the Gospels. This is how his ministry begins. From that time, Jesus began to preach this message saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And here we see the word preach instead of proclaim, but the same idea, right? And when he ascended, okay, so he spent three years proclaiming this. Then he dies, then he's ascended. And then what does he do? He leaves the same work for those after him. Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms will be fulfilled. We read one of those in Isaiah. We've, we did a whole series on fulfilled prophecy of Jesus. If you want to go back, you can listen to that online. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And of course we know that this more specifically applies to his apostles, but also applies to everyone who's going to come after them. Everyone who is going to follow Jesus. What are we to do? that the forgiveness of repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. And so as we consider important words in the Bible relating to the church, fellowship, and we've talked about some of the organizational structures, and last week we talked about worship and different things connected to the church, the word proclaim must be included as one of our primary missions, not the primary mission, which we know is to glorify God, but one of the main ways we glorify God is by proclaiming him. Now, certainly this word informs what happens in the assembly. Here I am, surprise, I am proclaiming, that's what I'm doing. And one of the reasons we do this every week is the, the centrality of this idea in the New Testament. And certainly this idea, or this word rather, carry a special meaning for those who make proclaiming their profession. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the message. This, again, another word that means proclaim. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Some versions have in season and out of season. What does that mean? No matter what the circumstance is, if people want to or not, if it's convenient or not, if it's easy or not, preach the message. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. Why is it so important that whether in season or out season, convenient or not, easy or not, what, why is it so important? Because there is going to be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves. They will in, have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. They will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. Paul was worried about this 2,000 years ago. This is a thing that he knew would be. And how long did it take? I don't know, 30 seconds? Not very, it didn't take very long after he wrote this for this to come to pass. The people wanted to hear their own stuff, which is why it's so important that we proclaim, why I proclaim the message. Uh, Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in suffering for you. I fill up in my physical body for the sake of uh, his body, the church. There's a contrast, right? His body, his literal body versus the symbolic, metaphorical body of the church. What is lacking in the suffering of Christ? I became a servant of the church according to the stewardship from God, given, me, given to me for you in order to complete the word of God that is the mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known, this word make known, sometimes translated manifest, 
is a key part of the idea of proclaiming. That as we proclaim, we are making something known. What? God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The mystery is that Christ is in you. The hope of glory. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Toward this goal I also labor, struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. Why do we have so many Bible classes? Uh, you, you may have seen an insert in the bulletin this morning. Uh, opportunities that you will have in September for more Bible studies. Some of them will be at the building altogether. Some of them are at people's houses. Some of them are for women. Some of them are for men. We have, of course, kids' Bible classes, children's Bible classes. We have all sorts of this stuff. Why are we doing that? This is why we are doing it. This verse is why we have so many Bible studies. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom, not just because we want to do it, but to present every person mature in Christ. Because I want you to be mature in Christ. I want you to understand his will. I want you to understand this mystery. I want you to realize that Christ is in you. And by our proclamation of his truth, we can be mature in him. As James says in another place, mature as opposed to immature, not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. As we read in the previous verse, not accumulating teachers for our own desires to hear any new thing, to just want to hear what we want to hear for ourselves, but to hear what is true. So we understand that there is a particular import in this idea of proclamation for people like me, for our Christian assembly, for what goes on as a church. And yet we understand that not only the preacher, the proclaimer, you could call me the proclaimer. Nobody's ever called me that before, but you could call me that if you want, the proclaimer. But not only I am the one who proclaims. We understand that. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he, in which he was betrayed, uh, took bread, and after it he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You were a pro proclaimer today. Well, I say that. I hope you were. Maybe you weren't. You could have been a proclaimer today. As you participated in this, what were you proclaiming to those around you? I believe the Lord died. That's what you're proclaiming, right? The Lord's death. As we participated in this together, we're proclaiming to one another. We're proclaiming if you're a visitor and you're not part of the body of Christ, one of the reasons, one of the things we did here, hopefully, was you saw the importance we place on the death of Christ as the thing which is that which reconciles us, which unites us, which, which gives us forgiveness, all the things that Don and Larry said earlier. We all proclaim that death. 
We see in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, my situation is in prison here. My situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard, everyone who knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. Oh, everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some to be sure are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do so from love, because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former, that is, those who are preaching out of envy and rivalry, proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they, can think, they think they can cause me trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul's in prison. Some, of his, some people were like, aha, Paul's in prison. Look at me, I'm proclaiming and you're not. Aha, that's envy and rivalry, right? That's what they were doing. They were preaching and sort of rubbing it in Paul's face that they got to preach and he didn't. But then there were others who were proclaiming because they knew that this is how to advance the gospel, right? They looked at Paul in prison and they saw that he was still preaching. Paul was still telling people the gospel, the, the imperial guard. Everybody knows I'm in prison for the sake of Christ. Can you imagine being Paul's prison guard? As he just yammers at you all day while you're standing there in front of his cell and you have nowhere to go, you have to be there because the commander said. And what is Paul, of course, going to do? He's going to tell you while he has a cap literally a captive audience. He's going to tell you about Jesus. And so the other people, they see that. The other brothers and sisters, not Paul, most of the brothers and sisters, those who know of his imprisonment, they see that's what he's doing and they think, well, I can do that too. If he can do that in prison, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to tell people. I'm going to be bold and fearless. Because if Paul can do it while he's literally in prison, well, certainly I can do it when I'm free. And so he says, yeah, some of the people, they're doing it to rub it in my face, but joke's on them because I just want Christ to be proclaimed. So if they're doing it out of envy and rivalry, they're not really making me upset because they're still proclaiming Christ. And that's what he wants. What exactly are we proclaiming and how should we do it? We understand, as we've seen already, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry, the ministry of proclaiming, right? Just as God has shown us mercy, we do not become discouraged. We have rejected shameful, hidden deeds, not behaving with deceptiveness or distorting the word of God. That's the temptation, right? I'm going to proclaim, but I want to make it easier. I want to make it palatable because of what Paul said to Timothy, right? People will accumulate teachers for their own desires. And so the temptation is I want to feed into their own desires. I know they want to hear what they want to hear. So I'm going to distort the word of God. I'm going to deceive. I'm going to be tricky. I'm going to be shameful is what he says. But no, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not suiting the message to fit the audience, but by open proclamation of the truth. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience before God, even if our gospel is veiled. And what does he say here? So I'm not going to change or distort the message to fit what the hearer wants. And so some people will not understand it. Some people will not accept it. But what? Even if our gospel is veiled, that is, people refuse to accept it is veiled only to those who are perishing, among whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, so they would not see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. 
For God who set light shine out of darkness is the one who shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. What's the point? We all proclaim. We proclaim who? Not ourselves. That's the temptation, right? To make myself look good. We proclaim not what the people want to hear. That's the other temptation. Two temptations. One makes it about me. The other makes it about them. But it's not about me or them. It's about Christ. I proclaim openly, without deception, without distortion, Christ and him crucified. That's it. And if they believe, they believe. If they don't, they don't. In some cases, the God of this world has blinded them. The the gospel is sometimes veiled to those who are perishing, those who have no desire to accept the truth. I can't change that. All I can affect, all I can do is proclaim openly the truth of Jesus Christ. The thing that he did for us. And as we conclude then, we must understand that proclaiming should be the natural action of everyone who encounters Christ. If you've encountered Christ, how would that be? Well, in your salvation, surely. You encounter Christ in communion. You've encountered Christ in the way that he's worked in your lives. Right? What was the mystery of the gospel? We just read this. The mystery of the gospel is Christ in you. That's the mystery. That's the thing we're proclaiming. And so the natural conclusion, the natural result of that should be what? Mark 7, 31. Jesus went out again from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking. And they asked him to place his hands on them after Jesus took him aside privately away from the crowd. He put his fingers in the man's ears. Oh, that's, he basically gives him a wet willy. That's what he does here, right? Uh, after spitting, he touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and said with a sigh, Ephatha, uh, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he spoke plainly. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone. But they didn't listen. But as much as he ordered them not to do this, they proclaimed it all the more. Duh! Because this friend, this guy they knew, he couldn't speak, he couldn't hear, now he can. Man, Jesus is so awesome! Well, yeah, I'm going to proclaim him. I'm going to tell people about it. This is literally the best thing probably that's ever happened in any of their lives. The most awesome thing that's ever happened. So yeah, I'm going to tell. And the point is, you've encountered Jesus. The best thing that's ever happened to you was your salvation, your experience of, of understanding your forgiveness and your, your, your washed and, and renewed state in Christ. I'm not sure you really understood what happened if you're not proclaiming it. I'm not really sure you have felt the importance of it if you're not proclaiming it. It should be the natural result. When stuff happens in our lives that is good, we naturally want to tell other people, don't we? I want to share in my good news. And that's why he left the commission, Mark 16, 14 through 16. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven. Uh, the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed when they saw him after he'd risen. Of course, then he did convince them eventually. He said to them, what? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized or immersed, we looked at that word earlier this year. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. You're not responsible for their believing or unbelieving. You're responsible for them knowing that there's a choice to be made. That's your responsibility. You can't control people's choice. 
You can only give them the option. But make no mistake, you absolutely are supposed to give them the option. That's our job, to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And ultimately, give them a choice. As I am giving you this choice today, I am, again, my job here is the proclaimer, the preacher, right? Whatever you want to say. So allow me to make you the offer, to give you the choice today. We know that Jesus came and died for our sins, right? We've, we've talked about that. We proclaimed his death already today several times. We know that he came to do that because he loves us. We know that he wants us to be restored to our uh, relationship with God, to be reconciled is, I think, a word that Larry read, to be reconciled to God or Don. It all run together. What does that mean? We were enemies of God and now we're not. Now we're friends of God. Do you want to be a friend of God? That's the offer. That's what's on the table here is being a friend of your creator. If you will what? Believe in him. If you'll be immersed into Christ. Here it is right here, guys. We can do it right now. It's way better than it used to be. It used to be super cold. Now it's kind of nice and warm. It's like getting a, a warm bath almost. We can do that. If you're ready to repent, to turn from your old life, to submit your will to him. We talked about this in Bible class. Everyone is expected to submit, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, not to live for ourselves anymore, but to live for the one who we proclaim, right? We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. We live not for ourselves, but for Jesus Christ. That's the offer, eternal life as the result. If you're ready, come while we stand and sing.